Welcome to Woodland Church. Here is today's message. In case you guys forgot, today is Father's Day. Is anyone excited about that? This is like so typical. Have you guys noticed within our culture, Mother's Day, the moment Valentine's Day is over, you get advertisement for Mother's Day, right? It's like from February until May, it's Mother's Day advertisement. Father's Day, I saw one advertisement this past week. Just one. Literally, I saw one that was like, oh yeah, Father's Day is Sunday. Well, we want to be celebrating Father's Day here. For, for Mother's Day, we did something really cool. We got all you ladies flowers for Mother's Day. And we thought, you know what? It's Father's Day. Men don't really get flowers that often. And wouldn't men kind of really enjoy a flower on Father's Day? Am I right? No? I'm looking around. The dads are all like staring at me like, is he being serious? No, I'm not being serious. We're not going to give you a flower. But we do have candy bars for you here today. So if you are a dad or a man over the age of 18, we have got candy bars for you. Uh, Chris is pumped up. I saw that little, the little fist pump there. We've got many kinds. Um, and where's Lene? Are they, are they king size? Did we buy? I think we went, went all out. I think they are big. So we want to be celebrating Father's Day with you guys this year. And uh, please, after service, be looking there should be kids passing out candy bars. Please grab one. If they are not all gone, do you know what happens to them? You eat them. Yes, yes. <laughs> that is going to be a problem. So we want to take them and pass them down the, ro- down the road here. So, well, since today's Father's Day, let me share some quick importance to you on how important fathers are to us in our world. Fathers play a major role in our lives. Every one of you in this room has a father. Some good, some bad, some non-existent. But fathers play a major role within everyone's life and within our lives. Someone just sent me a message. Beverly, she said 87% of men receive their first flowers at the funeral. I like that. That's a a fun fact there. See, you can message me during service. See, you can just message. Things just pop up. It was Jared. Are are you blaming Jared? Okay. Well, I want to share some quick statistics and some quick facts about the importance of fathers in our lives. Fatherless homes, there's four times greater risk of poverty, uh, two times greater risk of infant mortality, Seven times more likely to become pregnant as a teenager. More likely to face abuse and neglect. More likely to abuse drugs and alcohol. This is homes without fathers. And two times more likely to drop out of school. Homes with fathers. This one I thought was interesting. Did you know that homes with fathers, the infant mortality rate actually improves? Never thought about that. Think about that. Just just the fact that there's a father in the life the infant mortality rate is improved upon it. Homes with fathers, their emotional and behavioral problems are better. There's lack of substance abuse, lack of uh, suicide. The reality is, guys, is that fathers are important. And I think it is important for us 
as a church, but also us in this society that we live in, which in the last 60 years, the decline of fathers in our homes have been dramatic. You can see the decline starting roughly in the 60s. This isn't just within one community, but this is as American culture as a whole. And yet our world can't figure out why we have so many issues. And I, would always, I always argue it's the lack of fathers. We need fathers in our lives. It's so important for us to be having them. And I've shared this many, many times with you guys. I'm extremely grateful for the man who raised me, who was not my, my biological father. He was just a man that married my mom and who decided to raise me. And uh, I went from living on hot dogs uh, in a shack out in Deerton, which I believe Keith insulated that house, as I was telling him one day. It was literally a shack in Deerton, to a house in Nagani. We went from hot dogs to meat, went from a single-parent household to a man teaching me each and every day what it looks like to work, to take responsibility. And to be honest with you, I wouldn't even be here today if it wasn't for a man by, by the name of Steve Woodward who adopted me and who raised me. Fathers play a major role. And I, I point that out to us today because I don't think there's a coincidence on why in, in the Bible, God is referred to us as who? Our Father. Our Heavenly Father. I don't think there's any... I don't think there's a mistake there. We see this in Matthew 6, 26. This is just one example. Jesus says, Look at the birds of the air. They neither soar nor they reap nor they gather into barns. And look at the language he uses. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? So today I'm taking a break from Psalms and from Proverbs, and I want us to be talking about how do we honor our Heavenly Father today. And the title of my series is Just Want My Father. And today we're going to take a look at the writer of John. Um, John was a disciple of Jesus. You've probably heard of the Gospel of John. Uh, John was Jesus' beloved Disciple, And what I love about reading John is that as you read the New Testament and the Old Testament church, as you read all the different books the Lord has given us, as you read them, you'll start to kind of pick up a little bit different flavor as every, every biblical writer has a little bit different perspective on things. They're all true, but John writes a little bit differently than the rest of the New Testament writers. And I think possibly because John was the beloved disciple, he was very close with Jesus. He was actually one of the inner three, one of the three closest people to Jesus. And so he wrote the book of 1 John, and we're going to look at 1 John chapter 2. And I'm going to ask for you to stand with me as... We read 1 John 2, 28 through 3, 10. It's a little bit longer, so uh, make sure your knees are loose. It says this, And now, little children, abide in him, so that when he appears we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. 
Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. 3.1, see what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what we will be has not yet appeared, but when we know when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself and is pure. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. Verse 6. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one born of God makes a practice of sinning, for God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Verse 10, by this it is evident who are the children who are the children of God, and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Let us pray. Father, this morning, Lord, as we come to you, Lord, as we look to your word, Father, may you encourage us. Father, you have called your people, your children, Father, help us to walk in your ways. Help us to to live our lives for you. Father, I praise you this morning. We ask this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys may be seated here. Now, we are kind of jumping into the middle of a book, which I always hate to do that. I prefer to kind of start at the beginning. But we're looking at here, 1 John is writing... This And just before this section here, John is reminding them to watch out for some of the false teachers that could lead them astray. And if you look at the end of 1 John 2.27, the verse right before the verse we picked up on, it says this. It says this, but the anointing that you receive from him abides in you, and you have no need that anyone should teach you, but As his anointing teaches you about everything, and is true, and is no lie, just as it is taught you, says this word, abide in him. And we see that same theme pick up on 228. It says, and now little children, the next words, abide in him. So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him, in shame at his coming. That word abide is actually one of my favorite words in the entire New Testament. Uh, I've probably preached on it previously. I have no idea. I sometimes forget. I got notes, but I know that I have mentioned this word many times. The Greek word is meno, so I want you guys to remember that word. 
Should we all say it together? Mino. Mino. That is the Greek word for abide. And it means to remain, to stay, for a person to remain where he or she is, to remain in the same place. And what I love about that word here is that John doesn't use this word as a suggestion. He doesn't say, well, maybe if you feel like it, you should abide. He doesn't say, well, you know, if, if you're thinking about it, you should abide. He comes off and he says, abide in him. It's a command. It's not a suggestion. But what does that look like? We can talk about it. What does it mean to remain? What does it mean to stay in him? Well, the beauty of it is that God's word answers it for us. If you look down in verse 29, the very next verse, he says this. He says, If you know that he is righteous, you may be sure that everyone who practices righteousness has been born of him. Now, that last phrase, to be born of him, if you've grown up in church or been around Christians, you've probably heard the term to be born again. It's a common term within evangelical Christians. It's used all of the time. But what does it simply mean to be born of him? You know, some people argue, well, aren't we all just born of God? Like, I'm living, I'm breathing. Aren't we just all part of just God's children? I've said this many times. Not everyone who's living and breathing is part of God's children. That's a false lie within our culture. They tend to just spread that around that, well, if you're alive, you're just, you're just one of God's kids. Well, the Bible does not teach that. It actually teaches the opposite of that. It's only those who are born in him that are becoming his children. But what does it mean to be born of him? I'm going to summarize it really, really quickly. Someone that is born of God is someone who has come to faith in God's one and only Son. They have come to faith in Christ. They have trusted Jesus for the forgiveness of their sins. It is someone that has believed in Jesus' death on the cross, that he died for the sins of the world, but also that God raised him from the dead. And what takes place is very, very simple, is that when men and women on this earth come to the knowledge and realization of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for them, and when they confess that, and actually believe it. I don't mean just have like a head knowledge, not just a thought process, but they actually believe and they actually trust. This is what Jesus has really done for me. His Spirit comes and dwells within His people. His Spirit comes and His Spirit convicts us of our sin and, and His Spirit leads us and His Spirit guides us. But there is this acknowledgement that this is who Jesus is, that, that He is the righteous Son I am a sinner and I am in desperate need of a Savior. And when you are born of him, God starts to do a work. I love how uh, Titus puts it. Titus puts it this way, he says in, in, in chapter 3, he says, But when the goodness and loving kindness of, of God our Savior appears, he saved us, not because of works done by us, in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly 
through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we, may, we might become heirs according to the hope of the eternal life. What Jesus does is that He takes sinners. He takes men and women from all backgrounds, from all over this entire planet, and He washes them. He washes them away. He washes away all their sins, and He renews them, and He dwells within them through His Holy Spirit. And I, and I share this because this we have to understand this background in order to understand these verses. Because look at these next verses here in 1 uh, in John 5. Hang on, guys. I, I might have jumped ahead. Love this. Yeah, 1 John 1. It says, This is the message we've heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. If we say we have fellowship while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sins. Jesus washes his people. He makes us righteous. It's not our own doing. And I have to just kind of set that premise because what we are reading today in 1 John, people can get really confused on. Because as you read this, you will start to see and start to possibly think that maybe your righteousness, your right standing with God comes from you. It doesn't come from us. We do not make ourselves righteous. And I have to just really set that, set that precedence here because this is what God does within humans' hearts and lives. He makes us righteous. Not only does he make us righteous, but look at what he calls us here in 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us, that we should be called children of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Verse 2, Beloved, we are God's children. And look at that word, now. Previously, you weren't. But because of what Jesus has done, we become his children. And that we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as, we, as he is pure. And I know I've shared that point a lot too, but so this is what takes place here is that when men and women come to faith in Jesus, they become children of God. Previously, they were distanced, God's word says. They were actually children of wrath. And these sound like harsh terms, but this is what God does within humans' hearts and minds. And then look at what takes place. Because we become children of God, because he has transformed our hearts and minds, Jesus actually says here, the world will not recognize you. Have you ever come across someone that kind of looks at you a little bit strange because you're a Christian? Where you're like talking to them just about life and they're kind of looking at you like, why do you live that way? Right? Like, they kind of look at you like, you do some really weird things. Like, they just kind of look at us strange and they don't really recognize us. 
And this actually takes place, it takes place a lot in my life. Maybe it's just because I'm super weird. Like, you know, like I'm, maybe it's Christianity. Maybe it's because I follow Jesus. Could also be because pastor's super weird. It could be a multiple things here. But you will come across people that when they look at your life when, and when they start to talk to you, they kind of wonder like, you're different than everyone else and they don't quite understand it. They don't quite get it. They kind of look at you like you're a little bit strange. Like, why don't you talk how I talk? Why don't you party how I party? Why don't you do the things that I do here? And it's like, well, because I'm a child of God. Like, there's a difference, right? Like, there's a difference between God's people and not his people. And for, for whatever reason, we have to really understand this, that there is a difference here. The Bible makes it very clear that there will be a difference. God's people abide in him. God's people have come under the lordship of Jesus. God's people are his children. And they have a father who's in heaven. And I share this because when you read the last verses here in 3-4, we can start to get confused because it says this. Everyone who makes a practice of sinning also practices lawlessness. Sin is lawlessness. Now, when you read that, you might be thinking, well, pastor, I came to faith in Jesus, and I sinned this past week. Am I the only one that, that might have messed up th this past week, or is there some other sinners out here that could identify with this? Thank you. Thank you, Wayne. Appreciate that. We got one other sinner here. <laughs> we got two. We're looking for three? No. But you can sometimes read this, right? And you can think, well, everyone who makes a practice of sin also practices lawlessness. And it's like, but I sin sometimes. So does that mean that I'm practicing lawlessness? When I think about the idea of practicing sin, someone who's practiced sins has no regards for God's righteousness. There's not a thought in their head. They don't regard anything of God's law, God's commands, God's love. They have no regard for it. They don't think about it. They don't care about it. They just want to live however they want to live. They make a practice of sinning in their life. They don't understand the following verse, 1 John 3, 5. Because he says, you know that when he appears in order to take away the sin, and in him there is no sin. God's people know that what Jesus has done for them. God's people recognize Jesus came, he takes away my sin. Do I continue in sin? Do I just continue in lawlessness? No, we've come under the lordship of Jesus. But, Verse 6 is still true. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who keeps on sinning has either seen him or know him. And like I said, this can be a little bit confusing for us because when we do sin, we can sometimes forget, wait a minute, if this is true, God, and people can start to question things. And I personally think, church, there's a couple different extremes in this world and extremes within God's people and within his church. There are people out there that think, hey, if I sin at all, if I mess up at all, 
I don't think I have Jesus. They question everything, right? Like they, they messed up, they screwed up, they recognize it, but they have this, this guilt within them that they start to really question, did Jesus really forgive me? Because he, he's supposed to take away my sins, and, and if I'm abiding in him, I, I, we don't keep on sinning, and, and, and here I am. I've sinned. I've messed up. I think, guys, it's a, it's a matter of how do we feel about sin. What's our desire within us? Is your desire sin? Is your desire lawlessness within you? As a, as a believer, I, I believe this is what God ultimately changes. He transforms our hearts and our minds so that that desire within us becomes different. I think about Proverbs 8.13. It says this, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. When I was growing up, my dad always told me, Whoa, 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 we don't hate. He, he always said that one to me. But as a believer, we hate what is evil. Psalm 119.104 Through your precepts I get understanding. Therefore, I hate every false way. What happens is that we have this desire within us. It's not that we are somehow, well, we've never sinned, oh, we've never done that, but this desire within us, church, changes. As a believer in Jesus, your desire, your thought process, everything about you changes when it comes to sin in this world. When it comes to sin in your life, you don't accept it. You are not satisfied by it. You look at it, and there's hatred. Now, will you screw up? Will you sometimes lose it? Will you sometimes say something, maybe, oh, maybe I, I shouldn't have said that? Absolutely. But what is the desire within you? Is the desire for the Father? Is there this desire for Him? These next verses are, are difficult to hear. But there will always be evidence, church, of God's people and those who are not God's people. And the Bible makes it clear here in verse 7. He says, little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Whoever, practice, who, whoever makes a practice of sinning is of the devil, for the devil has been sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. No one born of God... makes a practice of sinning. For God's seed abides in him, and he cannot keep on sinning because he has been born of God. Why did Jesus come? It says to destroy the works of the devil, the work of sin within mankind. Jesus came to take away the sins of the world. I love how John the Baptist says it in John 1.29. The next day, he saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who does what? Who takes away the sins of the world. That's what Jesus does. So that when Jesus encounters us, us, his, his creation, when we come to recognize who he is, what he has done, and when we put our faith in him, the recognition is that, Jesus, you take away the sins of the world. 
And the desires within us change, church. There is clear evidence of God's people and not God's people. And I think we tend to just think, well, we can't become judgmental. Well, we can't, we can't say anything. And I'm not saying to walk around pointing, pointing at people. You're the son of the devil. You know, you walk into the office at the water cooler. That's always a good conversation. When you hear Pam talking about her wild weekend down in Tennessee, and you're like, hey, Pam, uh, see that you keep on sinning on, on Saturday nights. You know, I'm, I'm, that's not the conversation we should be having, but I do think we should be proclaiming who Jesus is, what Jesus has done for Pam, how Jesus can take away the sins of the world, how Jesus can transform and does transform our hearts and our minds. But I think for us, church, we need to have, have this like realization within our lives. God's people don't keep on walking in sin. They don't. Because God's God's people has been, have been transformed. You have been made new, Scripture teaches. There is a new life. You have been born again. His Spirit now dwells within you. You are not satisfied or desire sin within our lives. And I think within the American church, which is sad to be saying this, but the American church has become all too happy and okay with sin. Like all too, all too like, like just, well, whatever's cool for you is fine. And it's like, well, don't worry about, about this sin or about that sin. And it's like, God's people get transformed. God's people change. It's not us doing it. It's not like I'm just trying really hard. It's the work of his Holy Spirit within our lives. God's people have no desire for this world. God's people desire the Father. God's people desire him. We desire to obey him. We desire to follow him. And in 1 John 3.10, it says this, By this is evidence who are the children of God. What is the evidence? Our life. How we live. Becomes evident. And who are the children of the devil? Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love God his brother. There's a measuring stick. And I think for, for us church, we just don't ever talk about this. We just don't ever like think about this. But your life as a believer will be different than the people around you who are not believers. And I think that, like what I said, culturally, as I look at the American culture and the American church as a whole, it just disgusts me time and time again where I, I just see churches justifying sin, just saying, well, you know, it's okay. We don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. And, and it's like, what are you talking about? Like, don't you see as you read Scripture, God's people are different? God's people don't look how the world looks. We're different. We are His children. We went from children of wrath, is what it says in Ephesians chapter 2. You were once a child of wrath, meaning you were... Things were not good. But then Jesus transformed your life. And it wasn't you doing it. That's the other part, is that Jesus does it. And when we do mess up, and when we do sin, and when we do make mistakes, John answers all these questions beforehand. 1 John chapter 1. If we confess our sins, he's what? He is faithful 
and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. First John chapter 2, verses 1 through 2. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But, but if anyone does sin, these are God's people, we will. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only for our sins, but also for the sins of the whole world. It's not that God's children, when we mess up, that we should just walk in guilt and shame. We come back to the Father. We say, Father, you, you saw what just happened. Father, I confess my sins. And your word says that you will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And that's why Jesus came. Jesus came to cleanse us, to change our hearts, to change our minds. Do we continue on in sin? By no means, Scripture says. Will we mess up? Absolutely. Come back to the Father. Confess Him. Get on your hands and your knees and you say, God, you've seen my sin and Father, I praise you that you wash me clean every single time. But I think there's a reason why, and I want to I circle back here. I, that, that's like my new favorite phrase these days. We're going to circle back. 1 John 2.28, look at this. We're going to circle back to our first verse. And now, little children, abide in him. Why? So that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink from him in shame at his coming. The Lord is coming. He's coming back for his church, for his people. And I think about it in these terms. Not every day, but some days, my kids are really excited when I come home. Not every day, okay? I'm not going to lie to you here and be like, oh, the kids are waiting like at the doorstep waiting for me to become home. But sometimes, especially Gloria Jean lately, because she really wants a dog, and she knows that she has to like go like through the dad. You know, like if the dad says yes, it could probably happen. Don't encourage her, by the way. Grandma and Grandpa, I see you guys back there. Caitlin, we don't encourage her. But when I think about God and him coming, I think about my little girl waiting for me. She's so excited. I'll sometimes come in, I come in through that basement door and she like is booking it around that corner and she doesn't shrink back. She's not ashamed. She wants her father. As I think about his, his church, his people, we don't shrink back. Our desire is for him. We're excited for his coming. We're excited for his arrival. And it becomes evident within our lives. We don't seek after unrighteousness. We don't dabble in the sins. We hate it. We hate the sin. God, I, give me a desire to really just hate the sin and unrighteousness and give me a love for you. So that when he appears, we're so looking forward to it. We're so looking forward to our Father coming for him to come and rescue us from this world. And if I can also tell you this, if you continue to abide in sin, you're not looking forward to your Father coming. 
If you continue to abide in unrighteousness, you're not looking forward to the day Jesus is coming. But his children, his church, can't wait for the Father to come. We can't wait for it. And as I think about on this Father's Day, I just think, man, this is how our lives should look like church. It's not a list of rules of do's and don'ts. It's this desire within his people that just desire him. And if you desire him, if you love him, and Jesus said this, if you love me, you will what? Obey me. If we love the Lord God, we will obey him. And I just think too often, church, we can kind of become kind of okay with the sins in our lives. Ah, it doesn't really matter. And we kind of become, ah, you know, no big deal. It's a big deal. Jesus came to die for that sin. And if we love him, we will obey him, we will follow him. And when we mess up, we come right back to him. We say, Dad, we messed up today. I know, son. You are forgiven. But I just want us, church, to have this desire for our Father, for our Heavenly Father. You might have had a bad earthly father, but we've got a great Heavenly Father. You might have had a good earthly father, and you've got even a better Heavenly Father who loves you, who sent His one and only Son to die for you. And all we have to do is believe in the one whom He has sent. And He starts to do this work within our lives where we desire Him more and more and we desire the things of this world less and less. I want to stand for you or stand with you this morning and I want to pray for you. I asked the worship team to, to end in a song that I think is very, very fitting for us. And my prayer is that this song would continue to meditate and continue to do a work in our hearts and lives. But let me pray. Father, we come to you. Father, I thank you that you forgive your kids. Father, that you came into this world to forgive the sins of mankind. Father, remind us this day how great you are. Father, help us to know you, to love you, to desire you. And Father, if there's anyone that has walked astray, that maybe that has become okay with some of the sins in their lives, Lord, remind us of your word this day. Father, if we come and if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us because you love your children. Father, we praise you this day. Lord, as we sing this next song, Lord, help us to know you more. Praise you now in Jesus' name. Amen.